Happy Wednesday, everyone, and thanks for tuning in to the latest episode of the Frary and Smith podcast. We're continuing our Sunbelt in review series today. It's episode eight, where we'll discuss Georgia Southern's turnaround season under first-year head coach Clay Helton. We hope that you've been able to catch the last couple episodes in our Sunbelt in review series where we reviewed Southern Miss's bowl-winning season with Scott Watkins of the Sun-Herald. We also spent time on Monday's episode with Luke Creasy, who broke down Marshall's impressive nine-win season and included that upset victory over then-number eight Notre Dame. If you missed those episodes, you can find them by clicking the link in our Twitter bio or by visiting Apple or Spotify in the coming days. I definitely recommend that. Over the next several weeks, we're going to be continuing our deep dives on each Sunbelt School's 2022 season with the help of the experts who cover them on a daily basis. Today, we'll be talking about the 6-7 and seven Georgia Southern Eagles who revamped their offense on the way to bowl eligibility in the first season under Clay Helton. This year's Eagles team brought one of the more exciting offenses in college football to the Sunbelt. And talking to these local reporters has been a great experience, but I think it's especially especially unique and special when you talk to people who are on the ground for some of the turnaround seasons like we saw for Georgia Southern. Going from a three-win team, not to a six-win bowl team, I think it's great that we were able to talk to someone who was there for that transition. Hey, let's be honest. Our guest on this episode uh, was ABC 22 anchor Frank Solkowski, and he was a great ambassador for this team on this episode. He covers the team and also serves as the Eagles radio sideline reporter. We're excited to have him on the Frary and Smith podcast to break down kind of Georgia Southern's epic offensive 180. Caden, tell our listeners a little bit more about what they'll hear on this episode. It was great hearing Frank talk about just the offensive turnaround this year led by the coaching staff that they hired recently. Transfers like Kyle Ventry's making a big difference and just seeing how the culture has changed in this team, a triple option attack that offensively has now had to reinvent the wheel and had great success at it. And just seeing now with Kyle Ventry's gone, maybe what the future of that position is going to look like and just the future of this program as a whole. So very excited for the people to hear our interview with Frank Sokow. We're really excited to have Frank Solkowski, who covers the team, local news uh, in Statesboro, as well as serving as the sideline reporter for Georgia Southern football on the radio. Frank, thanks for taking some time out of your schedule. Guys, I appreciate y'all having me. Well, definitely excited to have you on. I know you're a bit jet lagged. You spent some time out at the national championship game. What was that experience like, Frank? Well, I tell you what, it was definitely different. This is my third national championship covering Georgia. Uh, you know, it was one of those things where it, it's the biggest stage in college football. So, so it's fun, uh, you know, and it's got to keep you on your toes after covering Georgia Southern all year. You know, Georgia, we're always keeping an eye on, on University of Georgia. So it, it wasn't a hard transition to, to get in. It's a little bit harder when you start talking about the bigger crowds, the the, the bigger stage that it was on, uh, you know, and it's a challenge. You, you're going across country to, to do that, and you have four or five days of nonstop coverage from the morning show all the way through the evening shows and trying to mix up your coverage. You don't want to talk just all X's and O's because everything's out there. So you're trying to really just report on the vibe and the and, and the experience for the fans and, and everybody that's there and, you know, kind of fish out of the water here. Here's all the folks from Georgia uh, picking up, moving across country for, for a week to cheer on Georgia. And uh, the defending national champs, uh, it, it makes it a little bit easier to tell the story. And then when you uh, win 65-7 to 7 in, in the pinnacle of the college football season, you really there, – there were no, no doubts. Uh, Georgia was the best team in college football this year. So it was really easy to tell the story. And then the adventure coming home, you know, flying commercial – 
Uh, it's not bougie like we were talking about flying with the team and the charter and 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 having to skip over all the the scanning and the security and uh, so it, it was a little different. Uh, but we got home. I, I, I was kidding with some folks yesterday saying that uh, you know physically I'm back home, but mentally I think I'm somewhere over the Rockies still, maybe Kansas. Uh, it's just a lot of coming and going. So. Uh, hopefully by the beginning of next week, we'll be back on solid ground again. Well, I got to admit, I felt for you. I don't think people realize that those live shots are actually live. And so you're reporting at like 3 a.m. in the morning out in L.A. so that they can get the 6 a.m. shot in uh, in Statesboro. But Frank, let's jump in and talk about another team from Georgia that had a pretty good football season this year. Uh, you look at this Georgia Southern team in 2021. They're three and nine. They fire their head coach. Kevin Whitley takes over at the end of the year. Then you hire uh, Coach Helton, this program goes six and seven, implements that new offense. At what point did you start thinking that this team could have a big year? I really thought it went back to last year when they hired Clay Helton during the season. Uh, you know, that's something that we haven't seen a lot of in college football. You know, a college football program going out, finding your replacement for the following year during the, the current season. And so while Georgia Southern was, you know, was struggling to get to those three wins and and, and trying to salvage anything they could, uh, you, you go out and you get a big-name guy like Clay Helton who was let go at USC, and, and you pick him up immediately, and uh, he comes and hits the ground running. I mean, he comes into Statesboro and is watching what's going on. He's meeting with the players. He, he's not disrupting the, the staff that's already in place trying to finish out the year strong, but he's evaluating. He's getting an idea of what he's going to be inheriting uh, you know, he gets to, to get his roots set in Statesboro uh, and he gets to see the competition because he was here during the, the Sunbelt season. So he was seeing what, what he was getting himself into. And, you know, from day one, he knew he had athletes. He knew he had guys who he could start to build this foundation with. While they weren't his guys, uh, he knew there was enough there and the cupboard wasn't completely bare uh, that, uh, that moving into the 2022 season, he could be competitive. And he has said that on more than one occasion that there were enough guys there to build off. While he he would admit uh, that there were a lot of areas that uh, he and his staff that he would put together, uh, they had to improve on. And that's what we're starting to see with this early signing class is what we were starting to see uh, with the transfer portal, uh, starting to build the, the type program that he wants that's going to work with his offense, his defense. Uh, but he was, he was able to, to see – uh, how these guys would react with the adversity, and and Jordan Southern finishes three and nine. They immediately go into to working for the twenty two season, and uh, you start getting some guys out of the portal. You start seeing the guys you already have there, and uh, the excitement start to build. But I, I again, I don't think it was till maybe the second half of the first game of the season, uh, you know, where I think Georgia Southern fans could see, okay, this is going to be a competitive squad, and the first four non conference games were really key to knowing what this team was capable of. Now, of course, during the season, as we're going to talk about a little bit more, injuries came up. I mean, uh, at the end of the year, the wide receiving core decimated. I mean, there was nobody left. Uh, we were on to third, four-string walk-on guys at wide receiver. And in this system, uh, those guys are so very important. But I think we saw glimpses of when this team is healthy, when he's at full strength. This is going to be a team moving forward that's going to be, uh, you know, the cream of the crop, one of the top teams in the Sun Belt Conference. Uh, and again, while they didn't get there this year and while they're not, you know, going to say this is going to be the standard, six wins was really a good starting point for this team. I think when you really, uh, you know, injuries aside, wins aside, you know, uh, the losses aside, 
I think this is about right. This was a six-win team, uh, you know. So I think getting to a bowl game was a huge accomplishment uh, in year one for Clay Helton. And then on top of that, you know, you had the bonuses. Not only were you bowl eligible, but to get there along the way, uh, you, you knocked off a Power 5 opponent on the road against Nebraska. Uh, you beat a top 25-ranked team when James Madison came in the States Pro. You beat them. And then you knock off your biggest rival at Appalachian State, the final play in overtime, final game of the regular season to become bowl eligible. Now, I think a bowl win over Buffalo would have been really just icing on the cake. Uh, a lot of positives can be taken from a 6-7 and seven season. Frank, happy to have you on. And you touched on it, that Nebraska win in week two. It almost gets forgotten about just because of such a big week that the conference had with Notre Dame losing to Marshall and App State beating Texas A&M. But it was a huge moment for the Eagles season. This team has beaten some big names before, but this one felt a little bit different. Could you talk about what made that game so special? Well, I think what really made that game special, you saw just how talented the, the wide receiving core was. I, again, we're talking about a Georgia Southern program that we, while we passed under uh, uh, Coach Lunsford and, and some of the other staffs, uh, you know, we have evolved to, to pass more. I think we saw that the passing was was a very viable move for this. There are athletes in place that can make this. We can make this work. We're not just a running team trying to pass now. We were a very balanced team that were able to, to use the weapons there. And I think that was the game that that really uh, we saw the emergence of Kyle Vantries, you know, the the transfer in from Buffalo, and it showed what kind of a home run find that was for Coach Helton and offensive coordinator Brian Ellis. I mean, this was this was the guy, you know. We had we had seen that he had a, a good career at Buffalo, uh, but I think at that moment when we saw the way he was able to to run that Georgia Southern offense in a hostile territory, new staff early in the season. Uh, it really showed, okay, this is going to be uh, you know, a team that is going to be able to compete all season long. I mean, while Nebraska was having a down year, you still went on the road in a hostile territory early in the season while you're trying to you know, get used to a new staff and new players and, and transfers and guys in new positions. And you were able to go there and you were able to get into a shootout uh, with Nebraska and outlast them and really silence the crowd. So that Nebraska win, while, while some will say it was the, one of the biggest wins in school history, I will say it's definitely one of the top ten. I'm not going to go throw it and say it's the biggest win in program history because you start talking about the 1AA National Championships. You start talking about the win against the Florida Gators that finally got you a win against a, a, an FBS opponent. This one was big, though, because, again, Georgia Southern, they hadn't knocked off uh, an FBS opponent since the Florida win. Uh, they had come close against Georgia, against Georgia Tech, against North Carolina State, against Minnesota. You know, they've come close, but they could never get over the hump. In year one of Clay Helton, they went on the road, got over that hump, and really created excitement. And it just worked out that it got a lot more buzz because, like you mentioned, it was a big weekend for the Sun Belt Conference. I mean, Georgia Southern paired with Appalachian State and Marshall's wins that day really, uh, you know, kind of lent to that hey, the Sun Belt is the best conference in the group of five, you know, and there was a lot of conversation going around, hey, maybe the Sun Belt, maybe we should be called a power six because the Sun Belt's here and they're competing. And, and there's no doubt that the Sun Belt is the top group of five uh, conference. Let's let's make no excuses about it. They are. Uh, even when we see Tulane do what they did, and make it, but we're seeing that Central Florida has one year. You know, Tulane has one year and some of these other conferences. Cincinnati has a year. But the Sun Belt, when you're talking about the staying power and the, the large group of teams that are doing this on a year-to-year -year basis, it really says a, a lot about the Sun Belt Conference. And, 
And I think that win was uh, Georgia Southern finally saying, hey, we're going to earn our keep in the conference. You know, it's been a long time since we won that conference title in 2014. We've gone through some coaching changes and everything else, but we're back, boys, and buckle up. Yeah, and I have to admit, it was probably the favorite loss for Nebraska fans this year. It meant Scott Frost was no longer the head coach up there and allowed them to move past that tenure. Uh, though I wanted to ask, you know, Clay Helton, obviously you alluded to it earlier. He gets the job in November last year after that up and down tenure at, at Southern Cal. Uh, where has he made the biggest impact on this team and, and how well has he been received in this community? Oh, he's been received with open arms. And again, I, I think any coach that comes in and wins is going to get the full welcome package in Statesboro. Uh, I, I think there were a lot of folks who were kind of scratching their heads and kind of waiting to see. Uh, you know, and rightfully so. You have a guy like Clay Helton that was at one of the most visible programs in all of college football, one of the more, more storied programs, and he was fired there. So a lot of people were saying, you know, if he was fired there, what does that mean here? Well, I think Clay Helton is a hell of a football coach. Let's be honest. Uh, he, he has his branches and what he's been able to do. He has a lot of contacts, and we've seen that with the coaching staff hires he's made. Yeah, he's also recruited this country. He's a lifer in college football. You know, he, he comes from that pedigree. And, and what a lot of people tend to forget about was it wasn't so out of the ordinary that Clay Helton is coming from, you know, Southern California to South Georgia. I mean, this guy, you know, his roots go to the state of Florida and, and, and the Southeast. So this is kind of home to him. I, I think it's been surprising to see how easy the transition has been made. And, and I can't wait to kid with him here in a couple of days when I get back up to speed. After spending five days out in L.A., I don't see how the heck that dude survived out there for as long as he did because that's just a different beast. I mean, Statesboro to L.A., that's a, that's a, that's a different beast. But, you know, he's having fun again, and he'll be yeah. the first to tell you. I mean, he's having fun. And if, if a coach professionally and, and personally is, is enjoying life, uh, that's going to really reflect well on your football program. I mean, he's not just selling come play football, you know, at Georgia Southern. Uh, this is his home now. This this is where he, he's happy to be. This is where, uh, you know, uh, he's setting up roots right now. And so, you know, when he's out, it's not just lip service with the recruits. I mean, he's selling them on a on a football program that has such a story tradition uh, in winning like Georgia Southern has had. Uh, some of the coolest uh, things that, that you'll see in college football, whether it's the yellow school buses and, and Eagle Creek and the passionate fan base that's out there. Uh, he's selling all that. And he's doing it in a place like the state of Georgia where some of the best high school football players in the country reside year after year after year. So he inherits a, a recruiting hotbed. And so his quest now is to keep the guys uh, from going to your conference foes or other group of five. His, his task now is to keep those guys from going to the likes of Central Florida or to UAB or to East Carolina now, now he's you know he's he's competing with those you know come to Georgia Southern and what you're going to start seeing is he's actually going to start being able to recruit and knock out some of the Power Five guys as go as well. Why go to a, a bottom level ACC squad when you can come here have a chance to set records, be visible, and play for you know conference championships in the Sun Belt? So I, I think the transition, while it was kind of unique, uh, you know LA to to Statesboro, Georgia. I think it was pretty sweet and seamless. And I think, again, coming in during last season was a, was a huge key to that because he could see uh, the environment he was coming into. He could get with the fan base. He could shake the hands. He could shake the babies. You know, he could get out there and really politic. 
and go ahead and, and find out his his allies and his true fans and who he can count on to, to be the big supporters in this in this program. And it's really paid off huge. One of the biggest areas of improvement in this team was that quarterback position. I know as someone who used to play in the conference, seeing just from the triple option scheme type quarterbacks to a gunslinger like Kyle Ventries, who gets picked up from Buffalo, kind of had not really a wildly successful career at Buffalo, but comes to Georgia Southern and just truly blossoms as a special season. What do you think allowed him to have such a special year in Statesboro? And what do you think he'll be remembered for as far as years to come in the future from this year he had? Well, I tell you what, you know, again, we'll go back. Georgia Southern has such a such a tradition, such a story past. And Kyle Vantries was open with, with, you know, welcome with open arms. The ginger general comes down and, and automatically becomes beloved uh, in Eagle Nation. And, and he'll be a guy who will be long uh, spoken about. Uh, you know, while, while he may not be at the same plateau as, say, a Tracy Ham or an Adrian Peterson, uh, he will long be a beloved uh, Georgia Southern Eagle, and he's going to be known as a as a dang good Georgia Southern Eagle with what he was able to come in and do. And, and Kyle even said it after the bowl loss. Uh, you know, he wanted to thank Georgia Southern and the fan base, the coaches, everyone, because it rejuvenated. It, it made him love football again, and, and it found his passion. And I think when you when you're surrounded by passionate people who who love the game, uh, love good football, it really catches on. But I think that his teammates were a big part of that as well. I mean, listen, Kyle Vantries comes in. Uh, you know, you're going through a transition. Uh, let's be honest. Uh, in years past, the, the quarterback uh, hasn't had a lot of time to run or, or, to, or to pass for that. And this Georgia Southern offensive line gives up seven sacks all year. I mean, uh, that's going to make a quarterback happy in itself. I mean, to have time to be able to put up the numbers and a historic season as, as a quarterback. Uh, I don't know if Kyle Vantrese's records that he broke this year will hold up long term because in the system, uh, you can have uh, those type numbers and those type games, those type seasons a lot. And again, he had just one season. I mean, if Kyle Vantrese would be here under this system for, say, three seasons, uh, the, the marks that he would leave behind are, are going to be crazy. But I think what you're seeing is Kyle Vantrese is that foundation now. He comes in year one, is able to put up these numbers. He's now the poster child for what a quarterback can do here in Statesboro. Uh, so moving forward, recruiting and, and locking down all these players in the future, Kyle Vantries is going to play uh, just as big a part as the coaching staff out there on the recruiting trail. Uh, so again, I think what really made it exciting too was you had the Northern guy coming back south. His family really, we saw them every game in the tailgate lot, uh, just becoming one with this community and this fan base. And that's going to, you know, any guy who is known as a passer but is going to tuck it and score on a, a sneak, you know, against Nebraska to give you the win late in the game, uh, you know, the fan base is going to appreciate that. Listen, Georgia Southern fans, uh, they are very football savvy. They're not just here uh, because they picked up their jersey or hat at the Walmart. Uh, we're going to be honest. This fan, this fan base has been born and in and, and this part of the country – they they live and breathe football. They live and breathe college football, and they live and breathe uh, sta uh, Saturdays in, in Paulson Stadium there in Statesboro. So uh, real recognizes real. So the Georgia Southern fan base they recognize what they had in Kyle Vantries right off the jump. And, and again, they're gonna they're gonna completely welcome him back anytime he wants to come back. And and, and Kyle's even said it. He's like, if the professional football thing doesn't work, who knows? You may see him back here as a graduate assistant helping coach quarterbacks. And I tell you what. Uh, Clay Helton and his staff could do a lot worse than having a guy like 
like Kyle Vantries in, in the coaching office. Yeah, I definitely don't disagree with you there. I know Caden still has nightmares of playing in Statesboro in front of those very football-savvy fans down there. He said the environment is is quite fun. Uh, he says that oftentimes there's some great uh, language, too, that comes out of the crowd. Um, but, you know, one of the areas when you look at this Georgia Southern team this year, Frank, uh, they had some holes on defense. Um, what were some of your biggest takeaways? And now, you know, maybe looking ahead a little bit to next year, how can they get better on that side of the football? I think the biggest takeaways was uh, we got into some shootouts, and I think we were depleted in areas. I, I don't think – I'm going to say this, and it's not taking away anything of, of the defense that was on the field the whole time. What the Georgia Southern defense lacked was depth and dudes. Okay, let's be honest. They lacked depth and dudes. Uh, defensive line, uh, you had probably around six guys, and then a couple of those guys got injured. Linebacking core, you already depleted and decimated uh, due to guys who left the program for one reason or the other, and then you started having injuries that would come up as well. I mean, let's let's be honest. At one point, Georgia Southern had, I think it was 14 season-ending injuries to guys who started the season and were getting play in time against Morgan State and in the first couple games of the year who were gone by conference time. Uh, so, you know, you were, you, were, you were trying to work on the fly. I mean, you're, you're taking guys off scout team, bringing them in to, to be in the 2-3 deep uh, during game week once you got into conference play. So I think the depth, that's the huge thing that we saw. The, the defense lacked depth and, and the injuries. you got to keep those guys healthy. And, again, injuries are going to happen. Georgia Southern just saw a large amount of them uh, as they got into conference play. So I think defensively, what we're already starting to see with the recruiting and, and what the type guys are bringing in, uh, they want those bigger. And, and I'm going to use some of those coaches' cliches. They like those defensive linemen twitchy and and long. You know, that's what they're going with. So you're seeing those more athletic guys. They want those fast linebackers. We're seeing some guys coming out of the transfer portal that have played at the Power Five level uh, and the Group of Five level coming in. So that's going to help because uh, you don't have to give them a year to mature. These guys have already – you know, filled a hole and made a hit, uh, you know, defensive back wise. I saw the emergence of young guys. Uh, you know, now you, you have to replace a guy like Derek Canteen, who was back this year coming off injury, but now he transfers out, finds a new home in Virginia tech. And again, I think that's what the group of five is going to happen is, is going to happen. You get these guys who, who are, you know, have the size to play at the power five or maybe recruited by the power five, but come to States pro and then they're going to be wooed. And, and that's what, what's, what you're seeing. You're going to see, like, out of a, a Derek Canteen. That's why he's gone. I mean, he graduated from Georgia Southern. He put in his time, you know. And so now he has a little bit of eligibility left, so he, he goes and tries it. But I think what we saw was the emergence of some of those young defensive backs uh, that really stepped up big when they needed to. And I think what we saw was the Georgia Southern defense. We're going to see an evolution moving forward. Uh, I don't think what we saw this year is what we're going to see uh, moving forward. I think, you know, you were making do with what you had. And at times we saw that Georgia Southern defense was a bend, don't break, uh, giving up field goals. I, you know, I, there's a couple games that come to mind, uh, especially the old Dominion game on the road where you gave up field goals, uh, even turning the ball over and maybe your offense didn't play its best game, but you gave up field goals instead of touchdowns. So you were able to keep it within reach because of that. So I think if you have that bend, don't break, but you have that defense that's healthier and has that depth and has a couple of those big-name guys, uh, you're going to go a long way. And I think that's what we're going to move uh, see uh, moving forward uh, from that Georgia Southern defense. 
Another part of this team that's going to be looked at and magnified a lot looking into next season is that quarterback position. You talked about it. The ginger general is out. His time is up with the Southern Eagles. And I think his departure now with him coming and being a product of the transfer portal. Now you and Georgia Southern bring in some other transfer portal quarterbacks, including Kentucky quarterback, Bo Allen, Tulsa quarterback, Davis Brand. Who do you think is going to be the one, the guy that's looked at is going to be the starter and how that competition is going to look next year? And how do you anticipate that playing out next season for the Eagles? Well, I tell you what, right now, if we're to pinpoint who will be the starting quarterback in early January, we have no clue. I mean, because it is going to be a true competition. Listen, uh, there's there, there's a casting call in Statesboro right now, and, and it's going to be whoever has the skills and, and has the tools and comes out in spring and goes ahead and takes that uh, that spot. And, uh, again, it, you're, you're talking about a, a quarterback position you see what Kyle Vantries did. So whoever's inheriting this program, whether it's for one season coming out of the portal or two seasons, or if it's one of the guys that's already on uh, on the squad uh, who could have three, four years as a starter, uh, that's a coveted position because you can see those numbers, those visibilities. Listen, Kyle Vantries was on ESPN uh, I, I plays of the week I don't know how many times because we saw the young wide receiver stepping up, making amazing plays the offensive line giving them time, some of the dramatics. Uh, so this quarterback position is very coveted. And like you said, we got guys who are coming in who are, you know, have are coming in from University of Kentucky, Tulsa. You know, we got guys coming in from, uh, you know, smaller colleges. We have guys who are already on staff. Uh, you know, so I think the big thing is that portal has enabled us to go out and find guys who can play immediately and, and way not, you know, can come in and have played big time college games. We saw it in Kyle Vantries. You, you got a guy in Kyle Vantries who, while he was at Buffalo, had a chance to play at Nebraska, you know, before in a non-conference game. And while he lost, he wasn't going to be overwhelmed by the experience. And I think that's what it's going to be now. While you, you, you while maybe it's a backup who comes in from an SEC school like a Kentucky, uh, the large crowds allowed, that's not going to affect him. Uh, the, the demand that's there for a practice and the studying and, and the film room and everything, that's not going to overwhelm because you've played at the highest level. I, I think what the portal has done is uh, be able to allow this coaching staff to develop those younger guys who have come in, you know, their high school signees who are playing quarterback. Uh, those guys are, are not as pressured to be pushed into playing right away into a new system. So, uh, you know, it would not surprise me. While those, those portal guys are, are going to come in and rightfully so going to be kind of at the head of the class because they've been there, I, I would not be surprised if one of these guys who's been in the background developing, uh, you know, running the scout team, taking reps as the number three or four, those guys now know the language. They know their teammates, the timing that they have with these guys. The, one of those guys may be the guy who jumps ahead uh, and, and, and takes the reins in the spring. Uh, it's going to be exciting. Because uh, we have so many different quarterbacks, I think I was counting the room at one point, and, and we're closing in on about a possible uh, about eight, nine quarterbacks in that room. Uh, so let's put it this way: the Georgia Southern coaching staff—they're going to have uh, their pick of guys. And again, you're going to see with the portal, guys are going to come in and it just didn't work out. So they're going to re-enter the portal. They're going to leave. They're going to look to get out. Uh, so again, it, it's exciting not uh, not knowing. Uh, you know, you, while you would like to have a quarterback who's been the starter for year on year on year and year. That's not where we are in college football right this second. And that's not where this Georgia Southern program is. So it's going to be exciting. I want to see how all these guys get into, into camp, uh, get into spring practice. Those early enrollees are going to be huge. 
uh, to get in there and get into the meeting rooms and, and get those reps and start getting that continuity. And I tell you what, I think by end of week one of spring practice, we'll already have an idea uh, of which direction we're headed when it comes to quarterback. Yeah, it's definitely one of the bigger position battles, I think, heading into the offseason in the Sun Belt. It's going to be interesting to keep an eye on. I think it's also interesting, too, you probably don't see Georgia Southern pick out these one-year quarterbacks moving forward. So now you want to build the culture moving forward. Uh, Frank, last question for you before we let you go. Pull out your crystal ball. Georgia Southern, when you look at the schedule, a very difficult non-conference schedule that includes games against Wisconsin. You bring Trent Dilfer and UAB to town. And then you've got the gauntlet that is the Sunbelt East. Uh, what would be a reasonable expectation for wins next season in that second year under Clay Helton? I think as that offense continues to evolve, the offensive line, you're going to be bringing in some of these young guys that have to fit their mold. You set the tone with six wins in year one. I think reasonable is nine wins next year. I think if you can get to eight, nine wins, be in the conversation uh, you know, late in the season for a spot in the Sunbelt Conference Championship game, be battling in the East. Let, let's be honest. The, the SEC East, I think what we saw, James Madison is going to be able to come in and have stay in power right off the jump. I mean, you're talking about a program that's coming from the FCS level and, and is already one of the, uh, the highest budgets when it comes to athletic uh, programs, athletic departments, football programs. James Madison has what it takes to, to be a success at this level financially and the support they have there. I think what we saw is Coastal Carolina. Are they going to take a slip now? You know, you, you have a new coaching staff in place there. Uh, how, how far is that going to slide down? I think we've seen Appalachian State isn't the same Appalachian State they were. We've seen Georgia Caden, Southern. Caden, plug your start. ears. You don't, I, I you know, don't want to say I that know. to Caden. <laughs> well, you know, and we've said that, Caden. We, we watch, and I think Appalachian State and Georgia Southern are perfect mirrors of each other because while there's that dislike, there's also that mutual respect. Listen, when these guys were, were battling out in the, in the old SoCon and were playing for championships, you have to have that. And, I, and I'm going to say it. Georgia Southern Appalachian State is one of the best rivalries, not just in the group of five. I'm talking about all of college football. And it's going to happen. It may happen next year. It may happen five years from now. College game day is going to be at one of these games because while Appalachian State Troy gets a game day, it's not the same as Georgia Southern Appalachian State. Trust me, it's not the same. And, and, and the level. So I, I think it's going to be interesting to see what App does. And Georgia Southern, if they can continue this this trend, the trajectory going forward, uh, you know, you got Georgia State, which has been a thorn in Georgia Southern side. They got to get to a point where they're yearly beating them. And I'll say it on uh, with you guys: Georgia Southern, Georgia State is not a rivalry. It's just another team in the state of Georgia. Georgia Southern has to play. I'm going to be honest. I'm going to be real. While it's 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 an in-state foe, and it is a big game. There's only one game when it comes to rivalry. If you're going to say rivalry, it's Georgia Southern and Appalachian State. It, it, that's just it. And it doesn't matter if you're playing if you're playing the, the uh, you know rivalry weekend. If you're playing in October, if we're playing on the surface of of Saturn on St. Patrick's Day, that game is the game. And, uh, you know, the, the, to see Georgia Southern be able to get a leg up on it has been fun to watch. But I think you're going to have it, Georgia Southern, App State. And James Madison are going to be uh, the teams to, to beat in the East moving forward, is, is what we like to believe. Uh, so, again, I think eight, nine wins in the conversation for the conference championship. And, and I say, you know, within the next three years, if we're really looking, 
Uh, if Georgia Southern is to get where they need to be and be who they need to be, they need to be playing in a conference championship in the next three years. Hey, well, those are definitely some exciting words. If you're an Eagles fan down in Statesboro, I know Caden and I are definitely going to have to try to make it to a game down there in Statesboro. I know that uh, you'll show us a good time. And, you know, if that prediction comes true about college game day, maybe coming to Statesboro, I'm sure you and Pat McAfee would have a lot of fun. But, Frank, we really appreciate your time, taking some time out of your schedule. Uh, go get some rest, my friend, and uh, we'll definitely reconnect again during the offseason. Guys, I appreciate the opportunity. Thanks for having me. And uh, anytime we want to talk Eagle football, uh, I'm game. Gain, I have to admit, I really appreciate Frank jumping on. He was obviously toughing out some jet lag. He spent a lot of time at the national championship covering uh, Georgia uh, for ABC 22. And definitely, you could tell he was still making up on some sleep. Uh, but, Caden, this is a Georgia Southern team that a lot of people slept on to begin the year. And with this revamped offense led by Kyle Van Treese, this team became electric. Kyle Van Treese was as good as any quarterback in the Sun Belt this year. What made him so effective this year? I think first and foremost, you have to start with the offensive line and who we've done a great job of giving our flowers to, I think, as a program. But just keeping him clean, making things easy for him was a huge part of it. He would drop back very confidently throughout this season, knowing he was only going to get sacked seven times. I think he would play even more confidently than he did. But I think talk about it when we talked about it, the offensive coordinator of this team with Coach Helton, I think you look at the scheme that they run, Kyle's a very smart guy. I think the reps that they got in the offseason and him being able to get up there in the spring was such a huge key for this team. And it looked like he'd been in the system for so long. So I think his arm was great. The talent was there for sure. But I think his offensive line protection and mentally just being dialed in and having that relationship with his receivers was definitely what stood out to me as far as the season goes. That offensive line play is made even more impressive when you realize that most of those guys were actually recruited under the, the previous staff in a different scheme. And Caden... That's a big adjustment to go from a primary run-blocking unit to a team that threw the ball as much as Georgia Southern did this year. That offensive line had a huge year. And you have to give credit to the running back position, too. I mean, these are guys who are used to on the perimeter cutting people, cutting safeties like me and defensive or linemen and linebackers in this triple option scheme. And now the offensive linemen, the tight ends, the running backs have to get used to this different scheme and blocking in a different way. But the fact that they were so successful in their first season, I think, is a really promising sign moving forward. Look, the team's... This year had in the Sun Belt had a, a tough time defending this team just because it was something they weren't used to doing. And I think because in the second season they might be more used to it, I think. But the success of Georgia Southern being able to kind of turn things around so quickly is going to make it to where this team might be able to only get better and better and better as they get more and more comfortable in this scheme. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, you know, injuries definitely held this Georgia Southern team back at times this year. Obviously, the wide receiver room was decimated, but. As Frank told us on this episode, there was also a lot of injuries on that defensive side of the football. And Caden, let's be frank here. The defense for Georgia Southern was bad this year. They didn't have a lot of great pieces over there, and it showed. You have to imagine, like Frank said, if this team can bring in some defensive pieces, which they've already started to do if you pay attention to the transfer portal, and in that recruiting cycle, this is a team that if they can put together a passable or better defense, they're going to be really tough to play against because of how good that offense is. Yeah, injuries definitely hurt this team at the end of the year. And I think when you look at this team now, the importance of the wide receiver position and them having some injuries there, I think that's going to be something they'll have to directly address as far as depth goes. Maybe their roster has a little bit more receiver depth than other teams just because it's such a position of value. But what's more valuable is the entire defense and the injuries definitely decimated that group. And I think 
They talked about it before on this episode with Frank. They need more dudes. And I think if they can get some dudes to play for this team, understand the scheme, just some high IQ players, they can be a lot better as a unit. And I think this this defense is going to have a hard task moving forward in this scheme. It's not easy being the defense of a scheme that is an air raid scheme just because they score a lot of points. You're on the field a little bit more than you want to be. And I think they just had to take some of those first year lumps. And I think looking forward if these guys can settle in, maybe get more used to the kind of style their offense plays and be able to feed off of that. We can see them take a big step. And really what's been the Achilles heel of this team has been this defense. So if they can take any steps in the right direction, I think that'll be a huge jump for this team next year. Now you mentioned needing more dudes heading into next year, but Kate, let's talk about some dudes on this year's team and at the end of each one of these in review episodes we've been handing out some end of year awards looking at who was that best player on the team who was the offensive and defensive standouts we also even dug in and found that go-to freshman player that could make a big difference in next year's team the only rule in this segment Caden was that you couldn't pick the same player twice in this and that made for some fun Caden we'll jump right into this one and you know, when you look at this team, uh, there was a lot of really good pieces, and it started at the running back room, which is a little bit surprising given how good this team was at throwing the football. Yeah, we'll start with the offensive MVP. And when you look at the attack of this team, it was very much a pass-heavy team. And I think that's what just makes it even better. The fact that you look at the season that this running back had in this scheme, when you look at our offensive MVP and running back Jalen White, this guy had 914 yards this season, 10 touchdowns and 5.6 yards per carry. Look, this is a team that threw the ball a lot and defenses were on their heels a lot of the time anticipating that pass. And when Jalen White got his carries, he definitely made the most of them and did some damage against these teams. You look at the season he had, he had four 100-yard games, one that was a 143-yard game against Marshall, 138-yard game against Old Dominion. He had a fantastic year and really made the most of his touches. I think when you talk about guys like a Caden Laborn who got a ton of touches this year, was a workhorse running back. Jalen White didn't get that luxury. He only got a couple touches, and his game was very much predicated off of the passing game. But I think you look at the way he capitalized and the way he was able to do damage against teams this year, have to give him some credit as the offensive MVP of this team. And then flipping to the freshman MVP, we're going to stay in the position group and go with another running back, OJ Arnold, the freshman, a Georgia product. And you know I love my Georgia boys that he put on for this team when he was asked to. Again, the running back position isn't going to be a highlight spot of this team, but he had 257 yards this season, a touchdown, and I think a big key looking to the future of the success of this team. Jalen White didn't play in the bowl game. He had to step up big and play in this game. He got 12 carries, had a career-high 68 yards in this game. I think that might be a little bit of a glimpse of the future of this team and what he'll be able to do in the future as well for this offense. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, Georgia Southern, they need to get passable running back play, but you expect them to be a pass-first attack. We've talked with Brian Ellis. He talks about getting everyone their touches, but we know the bread and butter is going to be throwing the football. Caden, defensive MVP for me, it's Anthony Wilson, the defensive back. 101 tackles, 3.5 TFLs, one and a half sacks, three forced turnovers, and five pass breakups. There wasn't a lot of bright spots on defense this year. Uh, for Georgia Southern, but Anthony Wilson is a piece that you can build on. He had a really good season and was one of the shining stars on that defense. We'll move on to team MVP, Caden. You know, like most of these, this was an easier pick. Kyle Van Treese comes in and it's, you know, has one of the best quarterback throwing seasons in Georgia Southern history. Throws for over 4,200 yards, 61% completion. 27 passing touchdowns, three rushing touchdowns. The only blip in that radar. We've talked about some of those interception problems, but Kyle Van Treese had one of the best seasons as a quarterback in the Sun Belt that we've seen in a while. No, just an amazing year. And he ends the season as the fifth most 
passing yards out of anybody in all of college football. Just an amazing year and a credit to how much this team carried. I think it's interesting. You talk about historically workhorse running backs. And I think this guy had a workhorse arm and was the workhorse quarterback of this team. They would only go as far as he would. And we talk about the quarterback position moving forward. Some big shoes to fill for sure, especially with him being able to make such an impact in one season as a transfer. There's definitely going to be a lot of pressure on these other transfers to meet that standard that he was able to meet in his first year in the system. So kudos to Kyle in front of the podcast. And hopefully he has a chance to show his skills at the next level. Hey, Georgia Southern certainly struck gold in the transfer portal with Kyle Van Treese. They're going to try to do it again for the second offseason in a row. Well, that will do it for another great episode of the Frary and Smith podcast. Again, we'd like to say a special thank you to ABC 22 anchor Frank Solkowski for joining us for today's conversation. Before you go, don't forget that we'll be back with the next episode in our Sunbelt in review series highlighting the 2022 season, Caden, for the App State Mountaineers on Friday. I know you're already looking forward to that episode. Special guest, Molly Cotton, who serves as App State sideline reporter and covers the team for 7.30. The game in Charlotte will stop by to provide an in-depth look to a team, Caden, that had a little bit of a disappointing season. Again, thanks for taking time to listen today. If you like what you heard on this episode of the Frary and Smith podcast, make sure to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify so that you never miss another episode. And if you'd be so kind, consider leaving us a five-star rating on Apple or Spotify. We love hearing what y'all think about the show. Finally, take a moment, follow the show on our Twitter page at Smith to keep up with all the latest Sunbelt football news and notes as we move deeper into the offseason. Well, that's goodbye for now. We'll talk to you again soon.